where he is. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. And uh, some of our choir has sung already. And so uh, they uh, have done double duty this morning. And we're very thankful that you're with us. And uh, we, as I said earlier, we, uh, we've had, uh, we had uh, some pretty rough weather the last few days watching the tomb. Uh, those of you that... If you like to see it after the service, it's right out here by the road. If you maybe drove by it uh, this week, uh, you saw some guys out there that were getting rained on and cold. And uh, Maybe you're here because of it. I'm not sure, but uh, I'm, I'm very thankful for what God did during that time. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse number 1. Paul, of course, is writing to this church uh, in Philippi, and he uh, this Philippian church, and he uh, is warning them over some things that uh, that you know had crept in. I, I love Philippians. I love uh, the uh, text that Paul kind of gives there and and warning them. He he says though that we uh, in verse number one he says, "Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you to me indeed is not grievous, but for you it is safe. So it's it's good for me to write to you. Is what he's saying. There is a warning that comes with this. I'm basically warning you. He uses the word safe. And he says in verse 2, Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. Now, anytime I see uh, beware of dogs on a sign, if I were, if you were to ask me to come over to your house and you have a fence around your property and it has beware of dogs, you, you can rest assured that I'm not coming in. Uh, that There's a sign. There's a reason for your putting that sign up. Beware of the dogs. Now, Paul's not talking about a literal dog there. He's actually talking about those that would be false teachers, those that would creep in. You know what these dogs in Paul's day, they, they want pets like we have today. I've got a dog I love. I've got two dogs I love, and uh, they're, they're treated uh, really good, and, and we love them and, and take care of them. But, you know, in, in Paul's day, in biblical times, dogs would just roam the street, feed wherever they want to, Corrals wherever they wanted to. Most of them were very mean dogs at that time. They were not looked to as we look to today, pleasant creatures to be around. Now, you may be thinking about your dog, and you may be thinking, Pastor, you never met my dog. He is not pleasant creature to be around. Well, in Paul's day, most of them were not pleasant creatures to be around, but these false teachers is what Paul's referring to. And he said, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. The word concision is mutilators. And basically what Paul is warning them of is these legalists, these Pharisees, they were teaching that a Gentile could not be a Christian unless he went through the rituals of what a Jew would go through. So if you're not circumcised like a Jew, you cannot be a Christian. And uh, through the circumcision. And, and he says this in verse uh, number 3. He said, For we the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Paul gives three reasons why. He uh, should, uh, of course, describing a Christian, he says that we the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So we're not taking confidence in what God has given us. We're not taking confidence in our works. We're not taking confidence in our flesh, literally. He warns them about that. In verse number 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh. So Paul says, you know what? If there was someone that might would have confidence, it would be me. If any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. So he's saying, listen, if there's anybody here that could 
have confidence in the flesh, it would be me. And he lists the reasons why he would in verse number 5. Circumcise the eighth day. Well, we go all the way back to uh, Leviticus. Paul's actually uh, circumcised the way that the Jews would be circumcised. He said circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel. And then he says the second thing. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul said this is a great tribe and, and it's good stock. And this was one of the dominant tribes, the tribe of Benjamin. This is the tribe that King Saul, the first king of Israel, was chosen out of. So Benjamin was a prestigious tribe. Paul said, I'm of that tribe. He said, I'm also a Hebrew of the Hebrews. So a lot of the Jews in that time would have embraced the Greek culture and they would have maybe went after Greek gods, and they would have looked Greek and acted Greek and wanted to worship in a Greek way. And Paul said, no, I've not embraced that. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. What's Paul saying? I am proud of my heritage. And you can trust, I am a, I am a Hebrew. And then he says this, a Pharisee. He said, I've, uh, what's a Pharisee entail? A Pharisee had memorized a lot of the Old Testament. A Pharisee knew the law. A Pharisee was the, uh, was the elite of the Jews. He was a religious Jew. Now stay with me. Look at verse 6. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteous, which is in the law, blameless. So he said, I did all the things right. If anyone that was going to have confidence in the flesh, it would be me. Here's what he said in verse 7. But what things were gained to me? Those I counted lost for Christ. What a powerful verse. Paul said, I was highly educated. I have great stock. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was circumcised, as they say in Leviticus, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I have every reason. I persecuted the church as they teach. I've memorized a lot of the Old Testament. I've done a lot of these things. But those things, he said in verse 7, I counted loss for Christ. It's not that he threw them away. But compared to his love for Christ, they don't matter. Look at verse 8. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of, G of Christ Jesus my Lord. I count them but loss. He, Paul's not really throwing those things away. He's just saying compared to my love for Christ and my service for Christ, those things really don't matter. They, they, they pale in comparison. He said this, for whom I suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung. Compared to Christ, he said, I, I count them but dung, waste. They're nothing compared to Christ that I may win Christ, that I may please Christ. And by the way, that's what Paul cared about. Look in verse number 9. This is where the message begins. And, and again, just stay with me because it's a brief message. Very simple. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Verse 11, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to preach for a few minutes. And God, I pray that you will bless the message. And Lord, help us. Uh, Lord, please, uh, God, just guide my words. May we not grieve you in any way. And may, Lord, our, our listeners, may they not just hear the word, but be doers of the word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The text verse is found in verse number 10. 
that I may know him. There were spiritual benefits of his gain in Jesus Christ. He said, that I may know him. He said earlier in that previous, in verse number 9, he said, that I may be found in him. So he said in verse 10 that I want to know him, but he said in verse 9 that I may be found in him. There were some spiritual benefits of being found in the Lord because Paul was in him. He could renounce his own righteousness. May I say that our own righteousness is not what's going to get you to heaven. Our own righteousness is what, what uh, it pleases the Lord. It, we have no righteousness. Matter of fact, it said in Isaiah chapter 64, I believe it is, that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Some of you sitting in here today may think that you are somebody. You may think you're a good person. You may think that you are, uh, man, you've reached the top and morally you're a decent person and no doubt you may be But let me tell you, our righteousness compared to His righteousness is filthy rags. We are nothing. Matter of fact, Paul said, uh, there is none righteous, no, not one. Hey, there's none of us that are good. You think you're good? Hey, uh, check, check, check that heart that he's got you. Jeremiah, I believe it was, he said that our heart is deceitful above all, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Paul knew it. And Paul said this in verse number 10. He said that I may know him, that I may know Him. What's he talking about? Well, the next words in that is the power of His resurrection. Knowing Jesus means knowing this power, the new life that is imparted to us now, that we know Christ now, that I may know Him. That's a simple plea of Paul's heart. The legalists couldn't say that. You know what the legalists knew? They knew rules. They knew regulations. They knew all the the, the sacrifices and all the rituals and all the uh, garments and phylacteries and they knew even some of the verses, but they did not know the God of the Bible. And Paul said, instead of knowing the rules and the regulations, I just want to know Him. And can I say, that is what we ought to go after. Can I say this, to know Jesus is not the same as knowing the historical life of Jesus. It is not the same as knowing the correct doctrines regarding Jesus. It is not the same as knowing the moral example that Jesus gave us. It's not the same as knowing His great work on our behalf. See, we can say that we know someone because we recognize Him. Because we can distinguish what is different about Him compared to others. We can say that we know someone because they are acquainted with what He does. And and for instance, we know a a mechanic because uh, we take our car to that mechanic. We know who He is. We know what He does. We know how He works because that's what He does. We know a baker because that's where we pick our bread up and our cupcakes and our pies. And that's where we know, hey listen, we know things because we associate it with that person. We know someone because we actually converse with them. If you go out here in our lobby and you look on the wall, one of the things that we're key about and and one of the strong points about our church and what we're trying to do, it says the number one thing, intentional relationships. How do you get to know someone? You talk to them. How do you get to know someone? You converse with them. How do you get to know someone? You sit beside them. How do you get to know someone in the South? You eat a meal with them. We can say we know someone because we converse. We're speaking terms with that person. We get to know their name. We we get to know their last name. We get to know uh, who their mom and dad is. We get to know who their brother and sister is. We get to know where they work and what they do. We can know a lot about them. And we can say that we know someone because we spend time. Hey, I believe this, that you never really get to know someone until you go to their house. 
You get to see where they live. You get to see what they live like. Here's the deal. Paul said this, we can know someone because we have committed our life to them in marriage. <laughs> Listen, we hear this all the time. You really don't get to know that person until you marry that person. Can I get an amen? Beyond all this, there is a way of knowing Jesus Christ that includes all of these and even goes beyond that. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon said this about this text. He said, they, they tell me he's a refiner because he cleanses from spots. He has washed me in his precious blood and to that extent I know him. They tell me that he clothes the naked and he's covered me with a garment of righteousness and to that extent I know him. They tell me that he is a breaker and that he breaks fetters and that he, he sets the soul at liberty and therefore I know him. They tell me that he's a king and that he reigns over sin and he has subdued my enemies beneath his feet and I know him in that character. They tell me that he's a shepherd and I know him because I am his sheep. They tell me that he's a door. I've entered through him. I know him as a door. They tell me that he's food. My spirit feeds on him as bread from heaven, and therefore I know him as such. Can I ask you this this morning? Do you know Christ? Do you know him? The power of his resurrection. Look at verse 10. The fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I want to focus on that six letter phrase or six word phrase there and the power of his resurrection the power of his resurrection first is an evidencing power there's evidence there if you go over to John chapter 20 turn with me over there John 20 if you have your Bible with you John 20 if you don't just listen to this verse John 20 and verse number 8 here's what the uh, John the apostle he said then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and he what? Believed. Hey, have you ever wondered what John saw in that tomb? If you were to look at John 20, we could read the whole text there, but the Bible says in verse 5 that they stooped down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then it says in, uh, in verse 7, And the napkin that was laid, uh, that was about his head, was lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. So when they went in, they saw where the clothes laid. They saw the linen. They saw the napkin or the, 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 uh, the, the wrapping around the, the head. And they saw that where Jesus was, but he was not there. There might have been some, uh, some ointment. They would, oint, uh, they would anoint their, the body with at least 100 pounds of spices. and I mean, they really packed it in there and they would wrap it. The Jews would wash the body and they would wrap it and put uh, ointment in there and spices. Why? Because of the stench and the smell in days. They tried to, uh, tried to soften that and dampen that smell. Uh, the Greeks and the Romans, they uh, incinerated bodies or what we would, uh, what we would call... Um, incineration or cremation, if you will. And then the, uh, the, the, the Egyptian burials, they would just em embalm people. And they would put them in a tomb. Jesus was not embalmed. He was wrapped, washed and wrapped and packed with spices. And when John goes in with the disciple, he sees 
uh, the linen clothes there and he sees them wrapped together in a place by itself. He sees the napkin wrapped around, but Jesus' body was not there. And the Bible says that whatever John saw or what he did not see caused him to believe. There was evidencing power. That same power is found in John chapter 21 and verse 24. The Bible says this, This is the disciple which testifieth of these things, talking about John, and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. How do we know that his testimony is true, church? Because there is evidence. Evidencing power. The Bible says in, I believe it's in John chapter uh, 20 and verse number 30 and 31, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these things are written that ye might what? Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his Name. Hey, there is evidencing power because of the resurrection power there. We have it. It's in the book. You say, Pastor, how do you know he lives? He lives within my heart. Amen. He gave us a book and the power of God says it and I believe it. Here's the second thing. I believe we have evidencing power, but we have also justifying power. Going back to Philippians chapter 3 It says in verse number uh, 9, I believe it is, Ephesians and Philippians number 3 and verse number 9, it says, And be found in him, having not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. The power that that Paul is speaking about in verse 10, that resurrection power is the receipt and proof that everything on the cross was accepted as a full payment for our sin. And by the way, your works can't get you to heaven. Your works, your, your tithe, your giving, your donating, your serving, your being here. You say, Pastor, I'm going to come to church 52 weeks a year. I'm going to come every Sunday. That would be great, and that would be wonderful, and I'd be proud of you, but if you're banking on that getting you to heaven, you'll fall short. Pastor, I'm going to give a bunch of money to the church. Hey, do that. Hey, praise God for that. But if you're banking on that for heaven, uh, that will uh, not get you there. You will fall short. You say, I'm going to be a moral, decent person. Hey, I'm proud of you. And moral and decency is hard to find today. But can I tell you, if you're moral and decent, that you'll fall short. Paul said in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen, it is the grace of Almighty God through faith that we get into heaven. We put our faith in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and Him alone. As I said earlier uh, this this morning, that uh, we had a young lady yesterday, me and Mark, uh, Salerno and his, his son was out there in the most miserable weather you could possibly imagine. That 3 to 6 o'clock p.m. shift was, and those guys before us got it and the guys after us got it. I mean, we got hammered, rain and, uh, and wind. It was cold, 41 degrees, and for three hours. There was really no shelter, not hardly any. And we were out there, and the first hour we're trying to be tough guys. You know, we're just looking at each other like, hey, this ain't too bad. You know, trying to pump each other up, trying to see who's the toughest, who's going to go back there and get heat first. We're just talking. And then I have my back turned to the church. 
so I'm facing down that way toward like 7-Eleven that way. And I'm talking to Mark, not paying much attention. I turn around to walk up toward the church, just, just to walk. And I, there, right when I turned around, there's a young lady standing right there. Now remember, it's, it's raining hard at this time. And nobody had stopped. Nobody's stopping. Nobody. So this young lady, about 22, 23 years old, is standing there. And she looks at us and says, can I get a picture with y'all? And I thought, man, anybody that would stop right now, we'll sign autographs. I'll let you wear the Roman hat. I mean, we'll do whatever. We'll let you even guard this thing for a while if you want to. So, I, you know, I was shocked that she, she said, I've just, she said, I've went by this display three times already, and I just wanted to pull over. I've never seen nothing like this before. And I said, well, sure. I said, we take it. So she turned her, her phone around. She was taking a picture of us and, and, um, and so on the way back to her car, just, just for a moment, I said, uh, young lady, I said, do you go to church anywhere? She said, no, I don't. And I said, well, we'd love to have you. She said, well, I work third shift, so it's hard on Sunday mornings. I work a third. I go in really late, stay. She told me the times was hard for her. She'd try to work it out. I said, okay. I said, ma'am, more importantly than you attending our church, I said, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Do you know Him? She said, no, sir, I don't. I said, well, listen, if you have a minute, and I know it's, I know it's miserable. And listen, here's what I expected. Oh, you have little faith. Here's what I expected her to say. Oh, I don't have time. i got to go. I mean, I would have understood it. It was terrible weather. It was... I mean, she was already getting drenched, and, and she was little, I mean, just a little girl. And I thought, this girl has to be cold. All she had was a hooded sweatshirt on. I said, she's got to be. I had three jackets on and a toboggan and had three or four pairs of pants on and big boots, and she's over there just taking it like a champ. And I said, listen, the reason we're standing out here is to show our community that Jesus loves them. I said, he hung on a cross, and there's some crosses over there. I said, he hung on the cross and shed his blood for us. The least we could do is stand out here and represent him for a few hours. And I said, we're just trying to tell people that he loves them, no matter where they're at. And I said, ma'am, her name was Kat. And I said, Kat, if you would take Jesus just as he is, and he would take you just as you are, would you do that? And she said, I sure would. And I read some scripture to her, and she bowed her head right there in front of the tomb and asked Jesus, to save her soul. You know what? Listen. Because of that, you say, Pastor, what encouraged me about that very thing just yesterday? And I was thinking in my mind, Lord, you know, we, we pray for this and we, we thank God for it and we, we get up for it and we're looking forward to what God does in it. And, and a lot of things we have no idea. But here's what encouraged me about that is the same Jesus that we're singing about and preaching about and showing you a video of and celebrating today, the same Jesus that saved folks 100 years ago and 500 years ago and 1,000 years ago and died on the cross is the same Jesus and the same power that saved that young lady yesterday. You say, what do you call that? Is resurrection power. Because He arose again, you and I can enjoy salvation. And we're saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the third reason. is It's a life-giving power. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead in John 11. 
And Jesus made this statement to Mary and Martha. He said in verse number 25, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. The reason we can have life is because Jesus died and rose again on the third day. You know, in the Bible, people say, oh, there's many resurrections in the Bible. I've even said that. But there are some resurrections what we call resuscitations. Where in 1 Kings chapter 17, a young man who got sick, the Bible says he fell sick, the widow's son, and, and, the, and the breath was out of him. He was dead. And Elijah the prophet goes and he stretches three times on the boy and the boy comes back to life. That is the first, what I called resurrection in the Bible, 1 Kings 17. Then we go to, I believe, Jairus' daughter. Jairus' daughter was sick. Do you remember when Jairus came to Jesus and he said, my, my daughter has fallen sick. And so they, uh, of course, uh, go to where she is. And by the time they reached her, she is dead. And guess what? Jesus raised her up. You remember Lazarus? Jesus goes to the tomb in John 11. Lazarus was dead. Been dead for how many days? Four. And they even said, Lord, you'd been here a few days early. This wouldn't have been this way. And Jesus, of course, said, Lazarus, come forth. And he did. But you know what? Out of all of them that were resurrected, you know, every one of them died again. That boy that was raised died. That little girl, Jairus' daughter, she eventually, though she was raised alive, she died again. Lazarus, oh, we talk about Lazarus coming out of the tomb and we, oh, what a miracle. But guess what, Lazarus, when he died, guess what? Or when he was raised, he died. But Jesus, when he was raised, he didn't die again. You know, where he's the only resurrection in the Bible. See, the others were the, what I call the resuscitation. And, and we can get, I know that's a play on words. Yes, they were resurrections, and I don't mind you saying that, but in reality, all of them died again except Jesus. Jesus is the only one to ever come back to life and never die. You say, Pastor, where is he at? He's on the right hand of the Father right now. And one day he's coming back. He's coming back. He's the life giver. Here's the last thing that I want to give you. What's this resurrection power that Paul's talking about? Well, it's evidencing power. It's justifying power. It's life-giving power. But, but lastly, it's consoling and comforting power. Turn with me, if you have your Bible, 1 Thessalonians, real quick. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I, I love this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and, and verse... Verse number 10, Paul is encouraging the church. He's talking about the resurrection of the just, the day of the Lord. And he picks up in verse number 10, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse number 10, he said this, And indeed ye do it toward all the brethren which are in Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. He said, uh, uh, and, and study to be quiet and do your own business and work with your own hands and, and as we command you, that ye may walk honestly toward them that were thou and that ye may have lack of nothing. But then he goes into verse 13, which we, we call these resurrection verses. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. That doesn't mean that they're snoozing. That means they're dead. That ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which are asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. 
For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent. That word prevent means go before. Them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. I love what Paul said in verse 18. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Why can we be comforted? Why can we be consoled? Why is this consoling power and comforting power? I can tell you this. The reason is it promises us that our friends and our loved ones, our family that have been dead in Christ, they live with Him. I don't like going to funerals like you don't. I don't like losing loved ones like you don't. I don't like losing friends and church members. But guess what? The promise is when we go to that funeral home and we look in that casket or when we hear about it, the, the promise is this, that we have a much better place that will be reunited with them in the air. And the Bible says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The reason we can be comforted is because of that resurrection power. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to that day that Jesus comes back. And I still believe that He's coming back. That's not a very popular thing today to say. A lot of people have lost hope. A lot of people have lost their way in believing that Jesus has come back. There are literally some people that teach that this is the best it's going to get. Can you believe that? If this is the best it's going to get, friend, we're in a bad shape. I don't know about you, but if you've not looked around, we're in pretty bad shape morally and spiritually. And if this is the best it's going to get, we are in a mess. But I got good news to you. Hey, this is not the best it's going to get. Jesus Christ one day, as Paul said, it's going to come and He's going to descend with a shout and the voice of the archangel will come and guess what? Those that are dead in Christ and those that are alive right now will be caught up together in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And by the way, I'm looking forward to that. Now there will be some that wish they were. There will be some after the fact that I really believe that they're going to miss it. There will be some that are playing games. There will be some that maybe tried to, as Paul said in Philippians 3, they tried everything but Christ. And remember what Christ said, that I may know Him. Do you know Him today? Do you know that comforting power? Do you know that consoling power? Do you know that justifying power? Do you know that life-giving power? Do you know that evidencing power? You say, Pastor, is that what Paul... That's exactly what Paul's talking about in Philippians chapter 3. It's not just for the dead... It's for us that are living. We can experience the power of God and the power of resurrection today. And one day we'll see Him face to face. I, those of you that are visiting today, I know we have a unique auditorium. We fill it up several, several times every Sunday. And I'm thankful for it. It's still relatively new to us. But the most, I guess you could say, the most uh, unique thing about this building is the, the, the top up here. And I call it the rapture hole. Because one day we're going to be sitting in church and those things are just going to blow off and Jesus Christ is going to come back and we're going to be sucked right through that hole right there and we're going to be caught in the rapture hole. You say, Pastor, it's the most unique building in Simpsonville. You're not going to find another church like it. And we believe it. Now you say, Pastor, you believe that literally? Well, I believe he's coming back. And if he chooses to suck me through that hole, that's fine. But if I'm out there mowing the grass, 
That's fine too. And if I'm in bed, that's fine too. And if I'm driving down the interstate, that's fine too. But whatever the case, I'm ready. And I hope that you are ready 